Michaela Cox has not only survived much tribulation, but thrived in spite of it. She has had a lifelong disability of legal blindness. She was divorced by the age of 26, and then, after remarriage, widowed at age 38. One of the things that she said on her website that I really appreciated and wanted to share with you today is this. A disability can make you feel very helpless and without options, but she will show us how to overcome that. Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Is a nine time published author. One of her books, Heartfelt Meditations, a collection of poetry, is one that we all need to read. You are going to enjoy her interview today as she shares from her heart and also about her different books. Now, she's legally blind and she has endured much heartache, both as a woman who was divorced at a very young age and then later with her beloved husband her second husband she became a widow also at a young age and now she's a solo mom this is somebody who should have a bad attitude and what you're going to see in today's interview it is going to be just the opposite she's a survivor she's a thriver she's exciting She's stimulating, and she will challenge us. Welcome, Michaela. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here. So let's start with, tell us your, a little bit of your story to begin. Okay. Um, like you said, I am a multi-published author, and I'm speaking and trying to get into that. Um, my journey, I'm 43 now, so um, <laughs> it's been a couple of years since I came up with the, you know, the 3Ds, but... Um, I was born in Houston, Texas in 78, and I was actually born totally blind. Um, it was discovered when I was like three months old or two months old or something like that. No, three. Um, that I was totally blind. There was no reason, medically speaking, as to why that was. Or There's no genetics. No one in my family has what I have, and my huh. kids don't have it. God. So it was at the time in 78, because not that we know everything we know medically now, but we definitely know more than we did back then. You know, that was almost 45 years ago. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, but there was no apparent rhyme or reason to any of it. So it was like a medical fluke. You know what I mean? 
And then um, for my background, because I'm a woman of faith and, you know, that's for some people and for not, and that's fine. But in our family, we believe that I gained my sight at seven months old and there was a miracle done. Now, I do see, I do have my vision, but it is impaired. So I was blessed to be given my vision at seven months old, despite uh, the fact that it was um, impaired. But yes, there's not been a day that I've taken or had a breath that I've taken or that I won't take or will have that it will not be viewed the world through uh, impaired eyes. It's permanent. There's nothing they can do about it. So it's here to stay. It's not going nowhere. But you still have a great attitude. And that's what we're talking about today, right? Yes. And I appreciate that because you've also gone through a lot of other trauma. So share a little bit of that story too. Well, fast forward to, you know, I got through high, I got through childhood with challenges of academics and socially and all that stuff that goes with it. And that's a lot of individual stories in and of itself. And you get through high school and then you go to college, right? So I went to college. Um, I graduated from college, but I did what a lot of people do. You find someone, you know, you fall in love. And after college, you decide to get married. <laughs> do the typical. And you think it's going to be your happily ever after. Well, right. not so much. Not one. Surprise, surprise. You hear the music cueing, changing in the movie of the plot twists and turns. So, um, yeah, so I got a divorce. It just became an untenable situation, and there was a lot of things going on with that, and I decided it wasn't something I could be a part of anymore. So I got divorced at 26. It was very challenging, the marriage was, and the divorce process was, because I didn't grow up believing in divorce. My parents have been married into this month 47 years and been together, including dating, so half a century. Wow. Wrap your head around that one, which I think is, you know, amazing. And I thought that was going to be what was going to be a part of my life. But apparently not. Not yet. So um, <laughs> we'll see what happens later on down the road. But um, so I got divorced and that was in 05. And then um, after being divorced for not very long, although I hadn't been with my first husband for almost a year and had done counseling and a, a program called Divorce Care. It's an amazing program for anyone who's looking for a good resource. But um, I met the who would be my second husband, although I didn't know it at the time, it would end up being the love of my life in uh, May of 05, and we got married in 07, and then we had almost 10 years together married and almost 12 years together, including dating. And then um, April of 2017, uh, he unexpectedly, tragically passed away, and at the time, I was 38, and my children, who are now 8 and 11, but they were 3 and 6 at the time. Not Definitely not the oldest, but definitely not the youngest either, so very young age to be hit with such a hard thing yes so, and that was and how did you yep. cope um depends on what day it is no i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> good <laughs> i mean some days are better than others you know this we're headed into a rough time of year for a lot of people that are going through grief and we're fixing to be in thanksgiving and this is our fifth thanksgiving and their christmas coming up without them but at the time it was anyone who's been through grief you're pretty much in shock and on autopilot and numb the whole first year really and <clears throat> i I remember um, the night that I found out that he was gone, I just remember standing there not really able to hold a thought in my head. But what I did know is I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know how it was going to play out. I didn't know what it was going to look like. I didn't know anything. You can't know anything. You you don't even know what you can't know at the time. But I did know that I had what I had to do and get the job done for my kids. That's all I knew. That's the only thing I can think of is it doesn't matter what I'm going through. It has to be the kids. When did you start writing? At what point in your life? Oh, I've been writing forever. I've always written. It's who I am. It's what I do. It's a part of me. If I'm not doing it, I'm obsessing about it. I wrote my first piece. I was a weird kid. I wrote, 
I wrote my first piece in second grade. Um, I was living in Texas at the time. Cause that's where I'm originally from. Um, and I decided, I guess I was upset about, I think there was, I think that was the year the Supreme Court decided you could burn the flag in this country and it was considered First Amendment rights or somewhere around there. And mm-hmm. I was all hot and bothered by it and thought it was awful and I had to say something about it. So I decided in second grade to write an editorial and submit it to my local oh newspaper. Oh my goodness! Did, yeah. And actually, since you mentioned them, We the People, it's actually, I showed it. I printed it in the beginning of that book to show this, the very early planted seeds of my uh, my weird passion for politics. Because I was, I was hot and bothered about it in second grade. Although I did not understand it in second grade the way I do today. And then I wrote my first poem in fourth grade. And obviously what I write now is not what I wrote as a kid. But <laughs> I've always written. I hope it's better than what I wrote when I was a kid or we're in trouble. But um, uh, yeah, I've always done it. And so I've kind of just kind of tried to find my way of how to use what I think I've been given to use to share messages and my story and lessons that I've learned and wisdom and truth, you know. Share something with us, you know, what uh, a story or from one of your books or whatever you would like to share to show us your passion and that your type of writing. My writing is, for the most part, is nonfiction. I mean, I might pull a fiction book out of my head one of these days, but it's not my strong suit. I like to start a conversation a dialogue like I'll have a thought and it's like well that's interesting I wonder what people think about it let's start a conversation let's have a dialogue I'm not here to tell anyone what to do with their lives I'm not here because I have all the answers I don't have it all figured out you know I can only share what I've learned and what I've grown in and and what truth and wisdom I've gained from my own experiences Mm -hmm. and what's and I think some of the topics I write about like politics and religion are kind of sensitive subjects so if you give it in a way that's kind of casual and clever and funny and lighthearted and just saying, hey, this is just simply what I think. I'm not trying to be in anyone's face. And it makes the dialogue that probably needs to be had about it a little bit easier to open up and people are more comfortable and more willing to engage, you know. I like that attitude. Would you be able to share something that you wrote in that vein politically? Yeah, the first book that I did, it released in 2020, and I'm getting ready to start researching the second one for this year in 2022 in that series, um, because I currently have five series I'm building out. But it's We the People, the book that I wrote about, it's not about Washington. It's not about who's on the right, who's on the left, or who's actually right or wrong. It's more about, I feel like, as Americans, we need to be informed and we need to be educated. Mm. We can't change things in our whether you agree with what's going on in our country or not is not the point of this conversation the fact of the matter is if you're not informed and educated whether you agree with it or not you can't make any change one way or the other it's like i say a lot if you're playing football or baseball or basketball you wouldn't go on that baseball diamond or that football field expecting to play the game if you didn't know how to play the game because you didn't understand the rules you have to understand the rules of this country agree with them don't agree with them in order to know what this country is and to know how to make it work. And then if you want to go change it, once you understand it, then more power to you if you don't like it. And what kind of feedback are you getting? Um, I think I've had positive feedback. It's just more of I want people to understand what America is about so that we can be educated, informed, and have a real, honest, truthful, informed discussion that actually might can move the needle one way or the other. Regarding the book, Heartfelt Meditations, what kind of poetry is that? No, it's it's um, poetry that was based off of scripture. I started that book when I was in high school. <laughs> My ninth grade, I think it was ninth grade, uh, English teacher showed me that as a writer, you can write whatever you want. 
and she thought I was talented or gifted or something and she thought I had a knack for it I guess I should say and she's like why don't you use it the way you want to use it and the way you feel like you're called to use it and at that time I was about uh, I, I mean I'm still about my faith but I was very much interested in looking at still am but the reason why I wrote that book is what I'm trying to say is and stumbling over it sorry I had a lot of people that were important to me and I wanted to show them like how much they meant to me so I would take their favorite verse and expound upon it and put it in a poem. Now, when I say a poem, oh. it is free verse. It's not like Shakespearean. I am at Rintameter. I am not that talented when it comes to poetry. It is strictly free <laughs> verse. I am lucky if I get it to rhyme. I'm like, wow, that was amazing. And it's not planned. So mine is very much free verse. So I took, and because of my vision being impaired and how long, even though I'm good at academia, it takes me a really long time to be good at it. So when I'm in school, I don't really do anything else because <laughs> I don't have time. So I had to pick at it for like 10 years. So over like from 94 to 2004 I wrote 70 different poems based off of 70 different scriptures over a variety of topics and places out of the bible and then it life happened with the separation and divorce and got married and you know kids and school and everything else and then it finally came out in 2011. For people who are going through trauma of any kind I mean you've been through a lot like you said tribulation you know was like household word for you in some points of your life you just picked up your bootstraps as they say and kept going but how did you do that can you be a little more specific for those who are hurting out there possibly through your books you have given this message so however you would like to address that as far as a book that if they want to read my story the book that I wrote and it came out the summer of June it was called now I see that is the book that everything we're talking about here today that if you want to see what it was like to go through it it literally walks the reader through every part of my life of okay with the disability getting married getting divorced and then losing my second husband and what I've learned through all that so that's the book that if you want to know what that really is like that's where you want to go it's called now I see as far as my life goes and what I've done to actually have to live this and what it looks like in reality I feel like the system that I'll talk to you about today that is my approach and methodology to tackle all this, I feel like I learned in an early age because, like I said, I had my disability my whole entire life. So I came into this world already having a challenge ahead of me, even though I didn't know. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It was like, you're born, you're blind, and you don't even know it because, you know, when you're a baby, you, you're just trying to figure, you, you don't know anything. There's no way you can. And so a lot of these things that we'll talk about, I learned at an early age. So they were already in place as like tools in my toolbox to help me through the more challenging things as an adult, you know, later on. So they were always kind of like muscle memory. Um, I was taught growing up um, in my family that we don't give up, we don't quit, we don't stop and you do your best and you see what you can do. And so I know I'm not on camera so no one can see me, but I'm a redhead. I'm a Southern girl. I'm from Texas. So I have a lot of grit to me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm kind of spicy <laughs> and funky. And my, my personality lives up to its reputation of being a redhead and a, and a Southern gal. I always wanted to do my best and see what I could do. And a lot of the, um, the, the root cause of my vision is called optic nerve atrophy or atrophy. And I don't know if you have any medical um, professionals listening to your audience. And they probably explain it way better than me. But in layman's terms, it basically means your optic nerve is totally jacked. Like, it's totally screwed up and doesn't work at all, the way it's supposed to anyway. Mm-hmm. And so it's your optic nerve, if you've ever seen it on a graph or, like, an anatomy and physiology class or your doctor's office, it's, like, a certain shape and a certain color. Mine's not. It's the wrong shape and the wrong color. Hmm. And 
the bloodstream doesn't go through the way it's supposed to, to send the signals to the brain, to tell the brain what to perceive to send to your eyes. So it's a processing issue, among other things. And so the doctors thought there was going to be a whole lot of other stuff that went with it. I don't know if it does or doesn't because I've not experienced it. But for some reason, if there is, for most people, I haven't had it. So they told my parents all these things they thought I'd never be able to do. And my parents didn't buy into it. And they basically said, well, God blessed her with her sight. So let's see what she can do. And as long as she's doing her best. And and so I was raised with the don't quit, don't stop, don't give up and give it your best shot. And so basically telling me no is basically a sure bet it's probably going to happen. I don't do that well. And I don't know another way to say this. Um, I basically have told the world in a manner of speaking, you know what? You can hold my beer or whatever beverage you choose and sit back and watch. Now, that's not the thing. I love that. That's a perfect attitude. I'm not saying it hasn't been challenging and there hasn't been had to overcome, but it's the choice I've always made. And that kind of starts me on the process of I have five steps that I think have served me well through all of it, the vision and the divorce and the losing of my husband, basically whenever life tries to knock you on your butt and throws you a curveball. Um, like what, are said, those, heard, what are those five steps? Carol Graham would like to show you the path from misery to miraculous triumph in her fast-paced memoir, Battered Hope. She relates her determination to succeed as someone who experienced one horrendous nightmare after another, gang raped and left for dead, loss of a child, husband falsely imprisoned, and cancer. Nothing could break her tenacity or faith. No matter what you face, heartache, loss, suffering, or injustice, Carol will illustrate how she became a victor the same way you can. The secret is to never, ever give up hope. Order your copy at Amazon or batteredhope.blogspot.com. Learn them early in life so they were already in place when I was an adult. Um, first of all, life is a choice. That's not to say that it's not a hard choice, but it is a choice. Our life's journey is a string of our choices put together that helps determine where we end up. Where you end up has a lot to do with what choices you make. If you make one set of choices, you'll end up a different place. You choose the other side of it, you're going to end up on another side. And I like to say it's a choice because it is up to us. We may not choose our circumstances, the hand that we're dealt, but we do get to choose what we do with it. I didn't choose to be born blind. I didn't choose to have a disability my whole entire life. I did walk away from my first marriage, but I did not choose the circumstances that my husband did to create an untenable situation that was no longer viable and not worth dealing with. (laughs) That was a lot of messy stuff. And I definitely did not choose to have to lose my husband at 38 and my two small children at the time at 36 lose their father. My son has been alive longer. He has had more time not with his father than he did with his father at this point. And my daughter will come to that day as well when she's 13 and something. So my son's already lived longer than the time that he had with his father. We didn't choose that. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But think of yourself as like an artist who gets hired for a job. And we all know when you work, you have to do what the boss says, like it or not, right? If you want to get paid anyway, and you're smart about it. And this person hired you to do this creation but they gave you materials that you don't exactly like and it's not exactly your artistic forte but you have to do it so you may not be happy about you having to work on a material or with materials you don't like but it's still in your control to choose to make this beautiful creation for them and accomplish the goal that's in your power that's what you have control over so I have control over okay I don't like these circumstances I've been given but I can either 
not do anything about it or choose to let it stand in my way or I can say, okay, this sucks, but what am I going to do about it? What am I going to do to figure it out? How am I going to still do what I want to do and make it be what I want it to be, to be, to choose to define my life for myself and not be defined by my circumstances? Very well said. Excellent. Tell us a little bit more about some of your books, like one of the ones that you had shared. I think it was one of your newer ones that you'd like to discuss is Take a Sip, Take a Breath and Go. I love that title. That was a series that I wrote when I became a new mom or well, actually, I take that back. I did write it about becoming a new mom. I wrote it five years after the fact when I was out of grad school because I didn't have time to write. I wrote for the professors, but I didn't write my stuff. I had to basically percolate and brainstorm ideas for five years and sit on it till I got out. Um, it was basically, I realized, wait a minute, I'm a, this is when we were living 26 hours away from most friends and family. I do have some friends on the East Coast, but at the time when I became a new mom, I was away from most of my girlfriends. Not, I wasn't near my parents. My husband was with me, but he was in the military, so sometimes he was gone. And so I just had a lot of time to myself, you know, as far as I wasn't with girlfriends like, oh, my gosh, my kid did this today. What do you do? You know, it was kind of just me and my daughter and then eventually our son while in grad school. That was fun. I'm not so sure it was a good idea to go to grad school when you have an eight-month-old and then a, a newborn and your daughter was three, but I live to tell. And so I started just thinking about all these things that I was learning, and I thought, well, wait a minute. If I'm going through it and half the world are women. That's right. Okay, That's, right. And, That's right. And most of them are trying to become moms probably at some point in their lives. Well, then I'm not the only one. So maybe I'm not the only one who's thinking this and going through this and feeling this. So maybe if I write it down and share it, it might help other moms on their own journey. And that's exactly what's happened, right? I hope so. And then book two just came out in October. So and what was that one again? Take a double shot, take two breaths, ready, set, go continuing the journey through motherhood. (laughs) It was about becoming a mom of two kids instead of just one. Don't you have a new release on the uh, book of scripture as well? That came out 2020, June of 2020, excuse me. And then the second one that I'm trying to finish up 10 chapters right now will hopefully come out in February of that series. This is going to be the 2022 is going to be very much now that I've laid the foundations for the five series is very much building them out and following up with sequels. So, And you're yeah. loving every minute of it. Obviously, I can hear it in your voice. It's what I do. Yeah. What I was called to do. And I love it. Do you children have any aspirations to that as well? I don't know. Like I said, they're eight and 11. So they have a lot of mm-hmm. time to yeah, but look at how old you were when you started. I was a weird person. I was a weird kid. I don't <laughs> think I'm the norm in the, any respect, especially when it comes to that. And they may find their a different gift and start mm-hmm. doing it at an early age, too. Mm-hmm. My deal as a parent is as long as they're, because like I said, we are faith-based, as long as they are pursuing God and following God and doing what he wants for their life and are happy and fulfilling their purpose and grow up to be productive, contributing human beings, and it makes them happy and it's legal, then Godspeed. <laughs> So is there anything else that you would like to share? I mean, you have given us many tidbits, and I'm, I'm jotting some notes down because I want to put this on your webpage as well, which is going to have, there'll be access to all your books, etc. Is there any anything else that you want to leave the audience with today, whether it's in summary or encouragement or anything that's on your heart? The other parts of the process that we didn't really get to is other than life's a choice. I feel like another key part of it and probably one of the harder parts of it because we can't also control what necessarily falls into our brain all the time, but we can control what we do with it is our mindset. I think mindset is key and I think that's why in our society we hear all the time mind over matter and if you put your mind to it, you can do anything you want. 
a lot of times our mindset has a lot to do with and what mindset we choose to have has a lot to do with which way we go on our journey. Like, are we going to be positive and help it fuel our momentum and motivation to get to where we want to be? Are we going to be negative? Are we going to be half empty, half full? You know, are we going to choose to see the rainbows and the silver lining amongst the clouds? Or are we going to stay in the rainstorms? Now, I'm not saying the rainstorms won't come and I'm not saying they're not hard hits. I mean, I've struggled over the last four and a half years sometimes with my own mindset, but it's still once you process those feelings as you should, because that's what makes us human. And we have to, if we want to grow, but once you've had those feelings and emotions and thoughts and you process them, you still get to decide what you want to do with them. Are you going to allow them to help fuel you to get you where you want? Or are you going to let it hold you back and stay in the yuck and the muck? And then I also say, I've learned this. I should have done this when I was a younger mom. <laughs> I didn't have time. And I'm too much of a perfectionist and type A personality and, and always worried about deadlines. But I have learned over the last four and a half years, the value of self-care. Self-care is not a, a selfish act. It's actually a selfless act. And it's a necessity for a lot of reasons. But I will say this, when you're going through grief, self-care can make the difference between drowning and surviving and keeping your head above water. Grief doesn't really get, if you want to survive grief, grief doesn't really give you the choice. You have to do self-care and grief period in the story or your journey will be a lot more rough trust me on that one and those dishes and that laundry and that to-do list I promise you it'll be there in 30 minutes it's not going where unfortunately there's no fairy godmother one that makes it vanish I would love that I would love if there was a fairy godmother one that would vanish my housework that would be amazing but there's not so go do 30 minutes for yourself and you'll be a lot better off and be more helpful to everyone and, and what do you recommend for the self-care 30 minutes it, I'd say 30 minutes is whatever you need it to right, be and whatever right. your life allows. But we are all unique individuals and we're all different and we all have things that we are geared towards that help us feel better, that helps rejuvenate us and refuels and renews our soul. For me, I have my own list, <laughs> some guilty pleasures, but you know, it, everyone's different. And so everyone's list is going to be different. But the point is, as long as you're doing something to care for yourself, good, good, filling your well back up with the water that you probably been lovingly giving out because we're all wells. Okay. And we only have so much water. We're deep, 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 deep wells with all this water that I don't know about guys. Cause I'm a woman and you're a woman. So you'll relate to this. I don't know how they do their stuff. And I don't know how they would think about this conversation, but we are busy women. We are always got roles and hats. We're moms, we're wives, we're daughters. We're, we're maybe, we may be a stepmom. We may be a foster mom. We may be an employee. We may be a boss. We may be a girlfriend or a niece or aunt or whatever, co-worker you know friends a woman at church serving or in a bible study or in a, a, a reader's group or whatever all the different things we do and we're happy to do them and we most likely want to do them and love to do them but at some point you're eventually giving all this water out unless you're putting something back in you're going to dry up you're going to run out right and, absolutely. Left to get. and then absolutely. you're probably crabby for it because <laughs> you're running around with a chicken with your head cut off and going oh my gosh i'm doing all these things and blah. You know, just feeling insane. And so you have to be willing at some point to find a way, whatever that is for you, to put something back in so that you can keep doing and being the person you want to be for all the people that you love and are in your life. And your people in your life will probably appreciate it, actually. And I think one, one thing you need to add there is that you can't feel guilty about taking that time no, for yourself. Absolutely not. And women do that so bad. Yeah. We will we will guilt trip the crap out of ourselves. And it's wrong. It is absolutely wrong. And I don't know why we do it. But I've done it. I mean, I've been guilty when I was in grad school and I was married and I had 
at first an eight-month-old and then a three-year-old and a newborn, and I was doing my thesis. I was all the time for five and a half years stressing myself out. Five years, excuse me. Oh, my gosh, I'm not doing housework. Oh, my gosh, I'm doing housework. I need to be working on a paper. Oh, my gosh, I'm working on a paper. I'm doing housework. I need to be with the kids. I need to be with my husband. I'm doing the paper and the deadline. Ah! For five years, that's what I did. I mean, I honestly remember, I think, I hate to say it, but I think I went a couple of days of actually getting to bathe. I, like, I did like the dry shampoo thing and like the maintenance, like just to wipe, you know, fill human. Uh-huh. I didn't have time. You know, I got, when I got out of grad school, I had 20 to 50 hours back in my week that was taken up by grad school work. Not household chores, not a job outside of the home, my actual grad school, because of my vision, that's how it takes me to do things. So I got like a life back and I finally had, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do with all this time. It's been sucked up by grad school work. You know, life is a choice. Be willing to define it for yourself. Mindset is key, self-care and then resources. Sometimes we all need resources and that can look like a variety of things depending on what you feel stuck in. And they all affect each other. Sometimes getting the resources allows you to get what you need for self-care that helps maintain a balanced and healthy, centered, focused mindset that allows you to stay true to the choices that you wanted to do on this journey that you chose. You have so many tidbits of wisdom in this interview. I think that anybody that's listening is going to need to listen to it twice. Um, it, it, no, it's incredible. And you are, you're the, the poster girl for enthusiasm. I mean, it's exciting. You, you excite your audiences. And now you said you are considering, well, your readers at this point, hopefully your audiences soon, be, soon because you're considering public speaking. Is that correct? Yeah, I've been podcasting since February, and I'd like to get some, now that our world is kind of opening up, and I, because I still have kids at home, I wouldn't mind doing virtual events, but I wouldn't mind doing live events either right. at some point. And what is your podcast about? I don't have a podcast. I'm just on podcast. Oh, on podcast. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Well, maybe you need to get one. <laughs> uh, people have told me that and that might happen at some point, but I have so much to do as is. Right. I'm just like, I don't even want to try and figure that out right now. Not to say that I'm saying no to it, but right. just right now writing five series and trying to get into speaking and trying to get TEDx talk and all the things and all the things that go into self-publishing. It's like, okay, Michaela, you need to learn how to say no. No is a good word. And you also have children. Yes, I do. I have two kids. Don't let us forget that. I have two kids. Yeah, right. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I would say the call to action that I try and tell people that I hope empowers and inspires them is life is a choice. You need to be willing to define it for yourself. And we get one shot at this. So you need to travel your journey well and do your best to thrive in it. Very well stated and an excellent summary. Thank you, Michaela. That has been exciting. I know that my audience is going to love your energy and and will take hopefully what you have said today and apply it to their own lives because that's what you're doing, why you're doing what you're doing is to help others because you're that type of personality, right? I do my best. I have my moments. I try. (laughs) Absolutely. No, you're doing a fantastic job. If I have to have all these lessons that I've learned, then people are going through them too. So maybe I can help and share some wisdom to help them. Exactly. At least something will come out of it, right? (laughs) Well, I think that's most authors and most people that I've interviewed on this show say the same thing. Just like you said in the beginning of this interview is that because you have been there and this has happened to you, there's probably a lot of people that it's happened to out there as well. And we encourage each other. We help one another. And that's obviously what you are doing. So I thank you so much for being on Never Ever Give Up Hope. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. 
Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.